Welcome to Politics Done Differently, a no-frills political podcast for the everyday voter, aiming to engage Australians in the political agenda. Hosted by Katarina Sullivan, businesswoman, award-winning sustainability expert, and political junkie. This episode of Politics Done Differently is brought to you by Strategic Sustainability Consultants, an Australian-based consultancy working with businesses, governments, and not-for-profits to assist them in becoming economically, socially, and environmentally sustainable. Today I am in Legislative Assembly in the ACT for the very first time on Politics Done Differently with Mr Andrew Wall. So welcome to being our first ACT um, MLA on Politics Done Differently. No, look, uh, great to be part of the podcast and excited to be the first uh, MLA from the Territory. Oh, fantastic. And so you've got a couple of shadow ministerial portfolios. You're a um, Liberal member. And you are Shadow Minister for Education. Uh, so I'm Acting Shadow Minister for Education at the moment, whilst okay. one of my colleagues is on maternity leave. Yep. Um, but it's also a portfolio I did hold previously. Um, on top of that, I'm the Shadow Minister for Higher Education, Business, Tourism, Industrial Relations. I think that rounds it out. Yep. <laughs> and that obviously keeps you incredibly busy. Yeah, look, that coupled with being the opposition whip uh, is yeah, quite a, a hefty workload as well as uh, making sure that you know my electorate's well represented and I'm accessible to, to my constituents. Yeah. Um, so some of the technical jargon that's used in politics, like politics, like whips and you know, um, leaders of the house in the federal yep. system. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about what your role as a whip is? Well, a whip is like uh, it, it dates back to the old Westminster. Uh, the, the establishment of the Westminster Parliament, and it was a term that was brought in there from hunting. Um, you know, uh, the the whipper or the whip 'em up was there to make sure the the whole hunting pack headed in the right direction, um, and you know, achieved a good outcome. And that sort of translated into politics, and, and still exists today. Uh, I guess in in the modern terms, my job is, I guess, a bit of a party disciplinarian, making sure that uh, my colleagues are doing the right thing, voting the right way on on legislation. Um, as you know, in line with the party view. It uh, also has, a, I guess, a fairly hands-on role in the day-to-day operation of the, the parliament. Um, I sit on an additional committee in, in the uh, parliament called Administration and Procedure. Uh, it is as boring as it sounds at times, um, but you get, I guess, a front row seat as to how the behind-the-scenes side of the parliament works. Um, in negotiating what legislation is coming forward, what motions are going to be debated, how much time different uh, members are going to have to, to present ideas and when, when in a, a sitting day that needs to happen. So uh, a big part of it is, is administrative and, and organisational. Um, I'm very lucky with a, a small team. I've got about 10 other colleagues. They're all pretty well behaved. They make sure they put their motions and legislation in on time and it's done in the right format. So that side of it, I get off pretty easy. Uh, given that we're a small parliament, um, part of that role is, uh, I guess, akin to what the Leader of the House would do uh, in the Federal Parliament, uh, as well as you know, a lot of strategy and tactics as well for, for sitting weeks. Sure. And of course, ACT Legisl- Legislative Assembly is unicameral, so it's just the one House. Do you find that that means that decisions are made a lot more quickly in the ACT? Uh, Decisions are sometimes made quickly, other times they take forever. There's a piece of legislation that uh, I'm, that the government introduced 
about 18 months ago to do with homeschooling. Um, they're still waiting to bring that back for its second, uh, you know, its second debate. Um, so sometimes things do happen quickly and when the government's really got an urgency to get something done, it happens fast. Uh, at other times, they can drag the chain. Yeah. Uh, I guess the, the difficulty with a unicameral parliament is the party that forms government controls what happens. If they can get support, or, and in the ACT at the moment, it's a minority government, so Labor has uh, 12 of the 25 seats. They need 13 to govern, so they're in a coalition with the Greens and they bring two extra votes. So. As long as there is agreement on between Labor and the Greens, uh, as, as much as we'd like to say the opposition has a swing or influence or sway, uh, there's no second house where it can be sent to committee and inquired into further. Yeah. Largely, nothing happens unless the government agrees to it. Yeah. And is that difficult for the Liberal Party in the position that you're in at the moment? Look, I think it's difficult for... Um, any opposition. Um, the same same has happened in Queensland, or happens in Queensland, when when you know, whichever party is forming government has a majority of, of, of has that clear majority. Um, you know, the agenda of the crossbench or the opposition benches doesn't necessarily get heard. Not in the parliament, anyway. Uh, there's an opportunity to, to to use the I guess the resources, the tools at our disposal in the public arena, and and try and win the hearts and minds in the public debate and discourse and put pressure on government to change the direction that way. Um, but we can't simply do it in, in the practical sense of numbers on the floor. So what are some of the things that you do in opposition to engage with people in the community and your voters? And um, I think this is some way that the ACT is quite interesting at the moment. No one in government has ever been in opposition and no one in opposition has ever been in government. Um, so I think there is advantages and disadvantages to being on each side. The advantage of opposition is, uh, you know, it's very lean. Um, I get two staff in my office, one's on a part-time, one's part-time, uh, and me, mm -hmm. and all those portfolios to, to look, up, look over. So a huge amount of work goes into actually meeting people that are in, working in that space or subject matter experts. Um, and when an issue comes up, you, know, you just got to have the courage to either back yourself in knowing what the right decision is, um, or knowing who you can call on to get the information and get the answers you need really quickly to, to, to make an informed decision. Um, government often has the opposite problem. They've got more information, more resources, more advice, more opinions than, than can be uh, you know, contemplated and, and, and reasoned with properly. Uh, and they get stuck either making the wrong decision um, or indecision. Uh, it plagues, I think, the... The, the executive members of government sure. frequently. Um, so you know, we're hoping that that you know, ability to just sort of walk out, meet the people that are involved in the issue at the coalface, uh, an issue that we're working on at the moment, bus timetables changed in the ACT recently. And a number of suburbs that used to have high frequency buses uh, no longer have them, any buses at all uh, running through you know, parts of the suburb. You know, I've been out, I've had meetings at kitchen tables with, with residents that have been impacted by it and you get the first-hand experience of what that those decisions have had and then we can you know, bring that back to the parliament and try and try and influence some change uh, I'm pretty confident the minister hasn't been out to speak to too many commuters yeah. that's always difficult yes <laughs> um, and so you were talking about before having sort of knowledge and understanding of your portfolio areas and you come from a private enterprise background 
has that helped you in your shadow portfolio for um, business? Um, look, certainly understanding and having walked a mile in someone else's shoes helps you appreciate the challenges that they face, the difficulties, what works, what doesn't. When you know government starts changing, you know legislation or regulations and, and, and policies around what impact that might have on on people in those sectors. Um, it was, I guess, a frustration with the way government was dealing with small business locally that got me involved in politics in the first place. So it, it's something that I'm quite passionate about. Um, and you know, government constantly is trying to change the rules to try and catch a couple of people out that are doing the wrong thing. And, and my experience has shown that people that are doing the wrong thing are always going to do the wrong thing, regardless of what the rules are. It's the impact that you place on those that are trying to be compliant along the way that, that, that gets burdensome and, and you know, red tape is the term that's normally thrown around to, to, to use to describe it um, and you know, businesses these days I think have got more and more responsibilities and checklists and compliance registers and things that they need to, to, to tick the box with because government says so um, that probably add significant cost and workload to the business and it depends on, on, on what type of business you're talking about and what the sector that they're involved in but I think overwhelmingly we've gone, the pendulum has gone too far in trying to be prescriptive around how people conduct themselves in business and, and I think the, the entrepreneurial spirit, the, the uh, innovation that, that often comes from people being able to navigate with some autonomy is, is, is being diminished. And could you see Canberra as a kind of hub in Australia for certain industries if some of that red tape was taken away? Well, I think we've got a unique position in the ACT. We don't have local councils, um, so we've got the, the municipal responsibilities as well as the, the state level responsibilities of health, education, policing, um, which creates some efficiencies. We are a very small geographic area, so we haven't got the, like, the expenses of, of distance. We haven't got regional schools or hospitals or road networks that need to be maintained over thousands and thousands of square kilometres. So there's huge efficiencies that can be had in the ACT and, and if our taxation system can reflect that, um, the ACT should be uh, a destination for people being in business. It should be the place where people say there's huge efficiencies in being there. It's a low cost jurisdiction to operate in. There's you know, several tertiary ed education institutions, uh, universities, TAFEs uh, and the like that are providing a training ground for, for potential employees. Uh, the ACT should be a destination for business, um, you know, without getting too political. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, from, from where I sit, I think that the government's got the settings wrong at the moment, but um, there, there's huge, huge opportunities to make the ACT a, a hub. It's never been a manufacturing town, mm -hmm. um, so heavy industry's not been uh, you know, ever part of the ACT. It's been largely a public service town, but now it's evolving. You know, the universities are one of our biggest uh, export industries with, with students coming in from overseas. Uh, Construction has always been a big part of it, but services, particularly uh, you know, professional services, which you know, require you know, well-educated young people coming out of our universities to, to, to fill those jobs. And I think that's where the bigger growth strength for, for, for Canberra is. Yeah. And being able to keep them in Canberra once they leave. <laughs> Absolutely. Both, both keeping you know, young people that have grown up here or studied here in Canberra is, is part of the challenge. But the other challenge as well is keeping businesses that have started here here um, you know, it, it can can be a very attractive place to start up a, a business in that startup phase and that, that that early growth phase um, but we're often seeing other jurisdictions you know New South Wales Queensland particularly being very I guess aggressive in trying to attract you know new industry into their their states and rightly so you know 
it's a competitive federalism is, is kind of what we you know got nationally and um, you know those states can see the benefit of not just the business relocating but the economic activity that, that brings with it they might bring 20 30 40 employees but then they're also going to be using local accountants local solicitors you know, other local trades their staff are now living in, in in these areas they're going to be doing their groceries and buying housing uh, homes and getting car service so the flow-on effects through an economy of just creating one job is is phenomenal um, I think we, we need to be doing a lot more to match the uh, I, I guess the competitive, competitive platform that the other states have, have created um, and I think we've got the opportunity to actually go further and, and make it even better and that competition between the states and territories is really beneficial for Australia because it makes us progress and work harder and become better. Oh, absolutely. I think you know, competition is, is a great driver of, of, of not just efficiency but better outcomes. Um, the challenge now is that you know, Australia is more than just the states and territories that, that are within our borders. We, we're dealing particularly on the business side in an international market. Uh, we've got Asia on our doorstep, which is you know, one of the, the, the biggest marketplaces in the world, which is a great opportunity for, for Australian development and industry. But likewise, we're also competing with, with their labour forces. And uh, you know, the con- I think it's fair to say Australia's got enjoys some of the best employment conditions in the world. Um, but with that comes a cost uh, and, and, and a trade-off. And I think we need to be conscious of making sure we've got the right balance to look after our own economy, but also at the same time be competitive in a global economy. And I spoke about this last uh, last episode as well about the interaction between economic, social, and environmental sustainability. Is that there's a very fine balance between the three. Exactly what you said. You've got to make sure that you're looking after the people and their conditions, but also making sure that you've got a strong economy so you can put it back into looking after the people and have that cycle. Oh, look, absolutely. It, we we can we can have the I guess the the theor- theoretical gold plated you know industrial relations system where everyone gets you know, a, a, an equal or equal share and uh, has all their needs met met but the problem is the cost of producing you know a product or a service will just be so may, may become so unreasonable that no one's willing to buy it uh, and, and then you really got to look at look at the, you know, the the situation we're in I think it's sad that you know manufacturing in Australia is on the decline you know, we, we no longer have an, an automotive industry which is um, you know, I, I think a sad, a sad development. It's just a, a reality of you know, the, the time of the year and, and, and the economic settings that we've got. But um, you know, it'd be sad to see more and more of those industries going that direct, you know, going in that direction on, on a whole multitude of fronts. I think there's a national security uh, consequence to it, but but more importantly, it's it's there's great pride in in a city or a country being able to say that's a product that that was made locally by Australians. Um, in many instances, you know. A friend, a relative, a family member has been involved somewhere in that 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 supply chain to, to make that product come to market. Um, I, I think there's a, a huge affinity with you know. Look, I love my motorsport and, and, and Holden and Ford. There's been a, a, a massive affinity with 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 you know, despite being American brands, the the Australian manufacturing side of it and the, the products that were made and, and to see that disappear more broadly, I think is is a tragedy for for Australia. So, are you a Holden or Ford? I am a Ford tragic. <laughs> oh, sorry, I hold them tragic. Fords uh, have, have always been the enemy in the house. But yeah. um, look, I think Holdens are well and truly ahead at Bathurst victories and yeah. uh, they've normally graced the garage at, at home growing up as a kid. 
Uh, well, that's a very contentious debate. <laughs> it is. It, it is. A, I think, uh, you know, much like politics, you're either on the red team or the blue team. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and for many, you know, politics is, uh, is like sport as well. You know, they, they, they support one side or another for uh, you know, no, no rational reason other than, you know, mum and dad have always voted that way and, and, and that's the way we do it. And I, I guess sport is much the same. You know, no. A lot of people support the footy team that mum or mum and, and or dad did and yeah. and just carry on the tradition yeah for sure and of course you moved from having that small business experience into politics what kind of lessons did you have to learn in the way that you did your uh, job look i guess one of the biggest frustrations and still is to this day uh, part of it's the curse of opposition and part of it's just the way politics and and, and public policy evolves when I walked into my business of a morning and if I saw that there was a problem there, you'd make sure that it was fixed at worst by the time you went home. If not, you knew what needed to happen over the next couple of days to, to make sure that the problem was, was resolved. Uh, in politics, I can often look at an issue and say, that's going to be a problem in a couple of months and you start talking about it and then it becomes a problem and then you talk some more about it and then maybe someone intervenes and, and, and actually addresses it. Things happen really slowly. Uh, and I think that that frustrates me at times, when you know a problem can be evolved, avoided, either an unintended consequence of, of, of policy or legislation, or, or just something that's, you know, not been measured or, 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 or monitored closely enough is, is is teetering off in the wrong direction. Um, that I guess has been one of the big frustrations. I guess the benefit I've got, um, both my business and, and work experience prior to politics was all largely customer service related and. This is still a customer service industry. Not going to make everyone happy, but it's about how you relate with other people, um, and I think that's a strength that I've been able to carry through from from the private sector into into public life. Yeah, and of course the elections coming up next year. What are you starting to do now to prepare for that? Um, it's just a, a a gradual increase of what has been happening consistently since the last election and before that, since I got elected. Um, constantly out in the electorate, we don't get uh, unlike some other state and federal members we don't get an electorate office mm -hmm. so this is being filmed in my office in the parliamentary building and this is the only space we get so uh, being accessible to constituencies is, is a challenge so there's a lot of shopping center stalls a lot of work uh, door knocking uh, we regularly make phone canvassing calls um, just to be accessible be in front of people so we can actually hear what's important to them for most people um, I find when the politician turns up on the door, it's a bit like the dog that finally caught the, the seagull. Uh, they think, oh, goodness, I, I don't know what to say. Um, but I'm sure that most people somewhere along the line have said, if ever a politician gets in front of me, I'm going to tell them what for. But uh, when we actually get there, people are normally really friendly, really kind, shocked that we've made the, the proactive approach to actually hear, them, hear what their views are. Um, I think the, the biggest part of this job is listening. Mm -hmm. um, people like to know that they've been heard. Uh, and I think all too often... You know, particularly governments create exercises to consult. Um, they're taking in the feedback from the community, but they're not necessarily actually paying it any attention and very rarely does it inform or change the decision that gets made. Uh, and that's certainly been my experience in you know, the last seven years in this job. Um, so I think the big, the big thing is just being out and being accessible. Um, and as, as the election gets closer in well, 14 months time, uh, it just becomes more and more high frequency. Um, you know, shopping centres go from being sort of fortnightly to weekly to two or three times a week. Uh, the door knocking increases from you know, maybe 100 houses a week to four or 500 houses a week as, as it gets to the real pointy end. Um, 
and that's you know where the real contest of ideas occurs is at, at that tail end of, an, of the election campaign. Um, but yeah, the big focus for me is, is always just being in the electorate, being accessible, and and you know where an issue arises, being able to hear every side of the story. So a lot of people say to me about my work in politics, like, why do you do it? Because politicians never listen. What do you think can be done to actually change the perception around the whole idea that politicians don't listen? Um, a lot of people say politicians don't listen, but I think it can also be reflected back the opposite and say, well, how many people are actually speaking? Um, I just this morning dropped my car off to be serviced and was speaking to having a chat to my mechanic and um, you know, they raised a few issues on, on a local intersection that's at the edge of their suburb and you know, they're not happy with it. And I said, I, have you spoken to anyone else about it? Oh no, it's been like that for six months but you're the first person we've spoken to but it's been annoying us for a long time. Um, we're normally the last port of call for someone, not the first. When an issue pops up, very rarely do they go, I'm going to ring my local member there. Normally look for another way around it. Can we, you know, in that instance, drive a different way to or from, from home each day? Or uh, you know, is there a different time of day that we might be able to get through that intersection with, with, with less trouble? Um, whereas if it gets raised with us sooner, then we've got the opportunity to actually act on it. Um, it doesn't work in every instance, but uh, I think people need to use the voice that they've got. And, and young people today particularly have got more opportunity to engage in the political debate than they ever had before. Everyone's got a mobile phone or, or, or access to the internet. We're all on social media. We've all got email. Um, or you can you know, do it the old-fashioned way, write a letter, put a postage stamp on it. But yeah, that there is endless ways of, of, of communicating with us. We're always happy to, to hear from people. Um, I would say you know, social media particularly has really changed that. In, in real time, you can be having a conversation with someone you've never even met um, on an issue that you're passionate about. And uh, I think that's really exciting. That, that it's become much more connected and much more accessible to you know, the you know, uh, you know, to the people who you know, we we are here to represent. Um, you know, we've gone to the days of having to make an appointment, have a face to face in the office, or hopefully ca catch catch a member on the phone. Um, you know, we're, we're there in, in community every day, and we've all got a device in our pocket that allows us to communicate you know, freely without any any interruption. Yeah. And have you seen an increase of young people contacting you via social media or is that still trying to catch up with them? <laughs> uh, look, social media is not my strong point and, and I'm one of the younger members in the <laughs> parliament. It's just not my, uh, my natural, my, my natural uh, uh, strength, I guess. I, I prefer to much, much prefer to meet someone face to face and have a conversation. Um, but definitely, uh, there's, there's comments on, our, on my office's social media page daily, uh, count, you know, Dozens of emails would come in from, from constituents uh, in a week. Um, and that's just sort of, I guess, the passive engagement. And then there's the proactive engagement where we're actually you know, either calling people, uh, engaging through through some of our social media posts to, you know, where someone's, in, in, you know, to, to groups of common interest, we might actually put a policy out or a, or a questionnaire or a survey uh, around some something that might be of interest to a, a group, be it, you know, a sporting group or a local community club or organisation. Um, Technology plays a massive part, and uh, I don't think I could do the job without it. And I don't think I'd like to even contemplate what a world would look like uh, without you know, social media or, or or the email and internet. That the opportunities it offers these days is you know, huge efficiencies in the work we do, but also a huge opportunity to to communicate with so many more people. It's so interesting because I've 
you know, grew up before social media really took off. And now I think back and I'm like, how did I live before then? Life life before (laughs) Google was very different. (laughs) I remember whenever I asked my mum a question, she'd tell me to go and look it up in the world book encyclopedia. Yes, we had the same at home. Um, But they were published in the 80s. And so I was reading about the Soviet Union back when I was in primary school, when the Soviet Union had Had fallen by then. then. Um, so what would be the favourite part of your job? Um, there's different parts. The bit that I enjoy the most is uh, the electorate work, being out with a constituents, hearing what their, their issues might be and actually being able to affect some change. And, and it's not normally the big things, it's normally the little things. It's you know a streetlight that might be out of pothole, getting some work done down the local oval, um, improving car parking at, a, at the shopping centre. That's that's the most rewarding bit. Um, the most exciting bit is sitting days. That's that's where all the drama happens. Um, and yeah, the, the the cut and thrust in the theatre of, of the chamber is something I enjoy, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you know, different tactics are being played out. Either you know the opposition trying to do something a bit bit tricky or sneaky to make life for the government. A little bit more difficult or, or the government doing it to us um, you know the need to think quick and on your feet is 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 exciting um, there's a bit of an adrenaline rush in that uh, but as I said earlier the, the you know, working with small business is really what got me into this and and meeting so many people that are, you know, I find inspirational that are, are in business they, they will risk everything they've got to try and better their life and their family's life you know they'll put their house on the line to start a business um which is a massive risk and you know their hope is that they're successful that they can employ some other people create jobs and you know certainly my experience from business is when you hire someone you you take responsibility not just for them but for their livelihood you want to make sure you can guarantee that you can pay them you know week in week out for a long period of time to give them some security um and you know, meeting with and working with those types of people that are taking on that responsibility and that challenge is really inspiring I, I, that that drives me to keep going yeah uh, that's my parents story they started their business and they had to mortgage their house against it and I remember dad would come home and say you know someone's put salt instead of sugar into one of the slices that we baked yeah. and it's like that could be us homeless you know? <laughs> <laughs> so everything was so dramatic um but it's so true and you know I've started my own business and I've got a lot of my friends who are around my age that millennial age group wanting to start businesses mm. as well what would your advice be for young entrepreneurs in the ACT do it yep. just not everyone's going to be a success not everyone's going to be the next you know Facebook or Tesla or you know massive multinational brand but the opportunity to actually create something and give life to a product or a brand or a service is, is exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, I think it is. Um, but there's also a huge amount of personal growth that you'll get out of it. You'll learn a lot. Um, you know, Failure is a great opportunity mm-hmm. to learn from, from your mistakes and, and pick up and go again. Some of the, the, the best entrepreneurs we've seen have had more failures than they've had successes, and, and, and that's been the thing that sets them apart. Um, and you never know what idea you might be sitting on and, and how the world receives it and, and where it can take you and what other doors it might open. Um, yeah, I hear too many people say, oh, I've been thinking about starting something, but I, I just don't know. The biggest thing holding most people back is themselves. Yeah. Um, and if you've got an idea, you believe in it, 
enough and strongly enough, you'll find a way to make it happen. Um, yeah, so my, my advice is pretty simple. Just roll your sleeves up, just do the hard work and do it. Yeah. Um, it's exciting. Oh, fantastic. Um, and before you were talking a little bit about you know, there being kind of drama in the Legislative Assembly, yep. um, and I always talk about you know, my interest in politics is that I don't need to watch a drama TV series because I can just watch what's happening in politics. <laughs> um, do you have any sort of funny stories or any kind of anecdotes that have happened over the past few years that have really oh. you know, stuck in your mind? or? too many to mention um they almost come up on a daily basis and 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 often the drama inside of your own tent is is more intriguing and can't always be shared as as what's happening between between uh the the parties down in the chamber there's so much of what happens in the chamber is i guess scripted um and you know everyone knows which way they're going to vote on a piece of legislation or a motion before before it gets to being debated. Very rarely do things happen organically on the floor, but every now and again they do. Someone will bring an amendment that no one kind of foresaw or you know, the debate kind of just takes a turn and, and, and different tactics get played out beyond what people had kind of war-gamed before, before uh, heading in there. And uh, those moments, I think, are the... Well, they're the realest when... Yeah, the most genuine when when things are are happening naturally uh, sometimes it's because someone makes a mistake or whatnot but I've seen you know parties commit to policies some simply because someone forgot to call a division at the right time mm-hmm. um, and that's always always interesting of dealing with the consequences um, the, the the big standout moments though are normally where you particularly for an opposition victories in, in a unicameral parliament are, are rare um, typically we lose by two votes um, so every now and again when you do get a motion passed or, or an issue that you've been chasing actually does get through you think no that was that that was memorable so um, I worked very very heavily two big issues I guess that that have meant a lot in my career so far there was a community on the outskirts of Canberra at Uriara village uh, and the government had proposed to build a solar farm uh, right next to all these homes. Uh, you know, when the vi- the village was lost in the two thousand and three bushfires that, that that hit Canberra, um, they rebuilt and put a few extra homes out there. It's about a hundred houses. Uh, all of them are you know, really environmentally sound buildings. All have great northern orientations to take advantage of you know, solar passive design uh, and also the rural views that are out there. And just to the north of the village, like directly across the road, they were going to put one of the biggest solar farms. Uh, in the ACT now, I have nothing wrong with solar, but it's about putting these developments in the right place uh, and not devaluing people's homes. And that was that was a, a about an eight month campaign with with that community against the government to to relocate it, and we eventually won. Um, and, and there's a huge, I guess, level of satisfaction now, whether it was because of our campaign that the decision was made to shift it, or for a myriad of other reasons, uh, you know. I don't really care. <laughs> At the end of the day, it got the outcome that the community wanted and, and that I was fighting for. Uh, likewise, there's a swim school in my electorate that otherwise wouldn't have been there if uh, I hadn't got involved and and uh, you know, a sustained campaign with you know, motions in the assembly, media, petitions, uh, the whole whole gamut of, of things that, that we can do to put pressure on a government to, to change their mind. And um, 
And now there's a swim school down there that, that teaches a couple of thousand kids a week how to swim. Um, yeah, even I take my daughter down there, uh, and it's just a great facility to have have locally. So I think they're they're the moments that probably stand out more than more than sort of the the the, the little snippets of, of daily drama. Yeah. Um, they keep you fueled for for the big fights. Um, and of course, it's hard to kind of report on a lot of these things for people because people aren't that engaged yep. in the political agenda. Um, sometimes <clears throat> things come out with fake news, which yes. we talk about a bit, um, which has got a bad rep through Donald Trump, but is actually a big problem that we're facing. What kind of things do you do to interact with journalists to ensure that stories are coming out accurately? Yeah, look, I think this is where social media particularly has changed. Anyone with an opinion can now broadcast it um, from, I guess, a, an elect, a, a politician's perspective. Um, there's both a, a great opportunity in that but also great risk yeah i can now get my message out to you know the audience directly um which is great i haven't got a a journalist or an intermediary trying to you know misinterpret what what i've said or what we're trying to do or what we're trying to achieve by the same token um there comes a responsibility to make sure that what we are putting out into into the ether is actually factually correct and accurate and true um because we are at a news source directly now as, as well as you know, through journalists. I think traditional media and journalism has a, a, a significant role still to play um, in informing you know, the community on, on the truth. You know, I've, got a, I've got a point of view, you've got a point of view, and the truth is normally somewhere in the middle. Uh, and I think that, was, that has always been and should always continue to be the role of a journalist is to, to find the truth or, or, or you know, as close to the truth as, as they can between two competing ideas. Um, most of the things that do, though, pass the parliament and go through go through unanimously. Um, but sadly, that doesn't sell many newspapers. You know, twenty five people all agreed with each other today isn't a isn't a story. It's it's the conflict that normally yeah. you know, drives drives an interest of a journalist and the opportunity for a story, and and through that drives their sales or web traffic or whatever the medium might be. Yeah. Uh, so. I think probably more than ever, there's a responsibility on you know, us as media consumers or, or as in, you know, engaged bystanders to to look at you know not both sides, but in in politics particularly now, there's you know three, four, five, six sides of the story. Uh, you know, try and understand all of them, or understand the argument from from each perspective, and, and then make an informed decision yourself. Um, that's I think the the critical key. Yeah, you you can't just blindly support or follow one side uh, you need to have the ability to you know, or, or the, the desire to think critically and, and assess it from multiple perspectives to find out well what what actually resonates with me uh, I think that's what we're going to see being the norm going forward is people will consume their information on their media from multiple sources um, and platforms and, and make an informed decision in between I think we're seeing that young people more and more you know, more, more young people today are inclined to either be a swing voter and, and vote between the major parties or also support a minor party. Um, I think that you know, that's a great strength of, of our democracy is that, that, that we can have competing ideas um, that represent different segments and you know, corners of our community and, and they can all have, have a place or a platform, particularly in election campaigns, to, to voice those views. And 
add to the debate. That's that's really what it is. This is a contest of ideas, and you know, I'm not going to say I've got all the answers and all the right ideas. I get things wrong as as much as the next person, um, but you know, the, the the more that we're forced to think and 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 you know, I guess evaluate what the options are and what's the right what what actually feels right, then you know, the the better the whole system is. And you spoke about minor parties. Do you think that you'll see an increase in support of minor parties at next election? Or So a little bit of back history for your listeners. The ACT uh, Assembly had 17 members since self-government in um, 1989. We just celebrated 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so a very, very new parliament. But at the last election, which was in 2016, we changed the... Um, number of seats from 17 to 25 um, and we've got an unusual system for listeners that are familiar with Hare Clark in Tasmania uh, we have exactly the same electoral system here so we've got five electorates now with five members in each uh, we did see when the assembly increased a, an increase in the number of minor parties um, not quite to the extent that happened in the first elections which was uh, I think they used the modified de Hont for the for the uh, electoral nerds out there um, was what the first electoral uh, formula was. Um, we've now gone to Hare Clark, and a much much larger number of independents ran. I guess from my experience in twenty sixteen to twenty twelve, possibly see a few again. A number of those minor parties that registered have deregistered have, have become deregistered. Um, you know, the the electoral commission has some thresholds around the number of members that need to be on the roll and and, and active. Um, but as we get closer to an election, I'd imagine we'll see a few more pop up and, and, and register. The challenge, though, with, I guess, a, a quota-based electoral system, when you know 16% of the vote is the quota to win a seat, uh, it's quite a high bar for a minor party to, to cross over. I think the ACT's voting pattern has changed where the non-major party vote used to sort of sit quite centrist, mm-hmm. and we did see a number of genuine independents being elected and, and minority government is the normal in the ACT. There's only been one majority government in nine parliaments. So we used to see some genuine sort of centrist, you know, centre-left, centre-right mm-hmm. um, independence. That vote now has largely been soaked up by the Greens. So instead of being sort of a centrist, it's now a, a, a far-flanked you know, party grouping that's that's capturing that. Uh, and I think that's changed the, the face and the style of governance in the ACT as well. And you were speaking about the fact that we have that system here where you have five members sitting for one electorate. Um, Does that mean that you work quite closely with those five members, even from the other parties, or do you sort of represent in a different Um, way? Where there's there's commonality, we all work together, Uh, and even across party lines, if there's there's, the need to change something in in the electorate and there's consensus, then yes, we, we all work together, but... Um, I often refer to the hair clerk as, I guess, the, the, the hunger games of, of electoral systems. Mm-hmm. Um, a certain number of people in the electorate are going to vote vote blue, a certain number are going to vote red, and some are going to vote green and every other colour under the rainbow through the minor parties. Um, the fight is often inside the party group. Uh, we normally run five candidates in, in each electorate, uh, as do Labor, uh, and the fight's often between candidates within your own party to try and get ahead of them um, and capture as much of the vote as you can, as opposed to fighting the other political parties. Um, and I think that's the the, the weakness of, of of Hare Clark is 
there's too many, often there's distractions. Mm-hmm. Um, the other side of it as well, when things aren't going well, who's ultimately responsible for the electorate? Um, you know, in my electorate, there's, there's three Liberal members and two Labor members. Labor are in government. Um, whilst we might have a majority in the electorate, we don't have, you know, the, I guess, the, uh, the autonomy that government brings you. Mm-hmm. There's no one person responsible to the electorate, and I think you do it quite frequently. Uh, you see, I guess, a bit of the blame game, mm-hmm. trying to attribute fault to someone else, and, and that, that, to an extent, is the nature of politics, but uh, in a single-member electorate, unequivocally, is that member delivering for the, for, for the community or representing their views well? And if not, they generally don't survive very long. Um, in the ACT, it's, I guess, quite different where you know, you've got five representatives and yeah, no, no one is wholly responsible. Uh, likewise, the flip side, if, if there's you know, a member that you approach that with an issue and you don't get the resolution you want, you've still got four other options. Uh, so there's redundancies. <laughs> yes. Um, no, I do quite like the system because I encourage on have Liberal, Labor and Greens yes. and so I can approach three different parties <laughs> on one issue that I'm having yeah. and get a response from all three parties as my local member. So yeah. I don't yeah. mind that. <laughs> and and that, that often does happen. People are confused and they don't know who to contact so they'll just send, you know, CC all five members onto, the, onto an email and yeah. And that often is a good thing um, from an opposition perspective. We know that the government members have seen it and, and, and they know that the opposition's got it, so they're going to be more, more likely to take action um, because they don't want the opposition making their life miserable. Uh, and you know, our job is largely the squeaky wheel. Mm-hmm. You know, if we can you know, draw enough attention to an issue, governments are normally you know, embarrassed into having to fix it. Um, and in the ACT, there's quite a youthful parliament in general. Um, compared to sort of some of the other states. Yes. Um, and you're one of the younger on in the yeah, assembly. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not the youngest this term. I was the youngest last term. Yeah. Um, there's now even younger than... There's members now that are younger than what I was when I was elected. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's great. As, after the last ACT election, there was members from their, you know, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s mm-hmm. uh, in the assembly. So it's hard to argue that you haven't got good representation. Um, and it's where the first parliament in Australia to have a majority of women. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think they're, they're things that the ACT should be proud of, that the parliament actually genuinely reflects the community that it represents, yeah. both in age, in gender. Um, we've got a number of members that were born uh, either overseas or um, have, uh, you know, I guess first generation Australians from a migrant family. Um, and that's representative you know, of, 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 of not just Canberra, but of Australia. Um, I guess the other challenges to that, and, and, and something that you know, I know a few of us do think of, you, when you get elected in your 20s, mm-hmm. um, you, you'd like to think that there's another career after politics. I don't envisage spending 30 years in this place. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've got very firm ideas around you know, some things I'd like to achieve in my political career and, and then it's time to, to pass the baton on and, and you know, try other challenges. Yeah. Um, probably back to business. Yes. <laughs> it's interesting because a lot of times, you know, with my role in politics and never having been a politician or even thought about running for politics because I don't think that would suit me. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, as a young person, do I have enough experience to be making decisions for people in you know, their senior citizen years and pensioners and retirees? 
How did you overcome that challenge as a young politician? Uh, look, that's a tough question because every job I've had, like, I started work at McDonald's when I was, you know, just before I turned 15 and found myself in a, I, I guess, a, a training role there and then into management very early and every job I've had since I've been in some sort of a management type role. So I've always had people older than me, I guess, working under me in the, you know, in the hierarchy of things. Um, it's sometimes I've found that, you know, last time I was the shadow minister for youth youth um, uh, youth affairs and I often found it easier to relate and understand the challenges of a retiree mm -hmm. than someone else that was my own age because my experience of being a you know a, a, an 18 19 20 year old was very different to, to theirs um, yet so similar in other ways and I often found that older colleagues could relate could understand the challenges of young people better than someone that was young and mm -hmm. Likewise, just because you're old doesn't mean you necessarily understand the challenges of you know, uh, you know some some uh, the, the mature end of, of our community. Yeah, I, I don't think that there's sort of a, a, a it's hard to sort of say that you know just because you're young you're, you're going to understand that, that youth side of things. Um, at the nub, nub of it though, it's it's about listening to people and trying to understand. The world from their views and, and, and from you know what their day, their their day to day world looks like, um, and then you know inf use that to inform your decisions. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges facing young people in Canberra? I I'm disheartened. I grew up in Canberra, and um, look, I've I've been look, I've been very lucky in always having a good job. Um, a great family and great friends that, that support me and that's allowed me to do all sorts of obscure things like run for politics um, I'm, it worries me to hear so many young people today that don't have I guess hope is probably a way of describing it that there's huge uncertainty around their future of you know will I get a job will I ever be able to afford a home what kind of life will I have and you know, I think that Australia is still the lucky country and, and we should be grateful for uh, you know the opportunities that do exist here it's tough you know, and life is always going to be a challenge um, but I think I'd like to know what we're doing wrong to to you know remove hope from so many young people's aspirations um, I was recently at, a, at a, a parliamentary conference and there was um, members from all across the Commonwealth there, you know, from not just the Australian parliaments but um, predominantly African, Canadian um, and also UK parliament. And to hear some of the challenges that are going on in particularly Africa where, um, you know, child marriages, you know, female genital mutilation and those sorts of challenges, are, things are, are prolific. Um, and the parliaments there are, are, are trying to find ways to, to stop it. And if that's the biggest challenges that they're the challenges that they're facing, when you actually have a look and think of what the biggest challenges we've got are, we're really lucky. Um, and I think we just need to recognise that as, as a community that we've got it really, really good. Um, can it be better? Absolutely. And I think that you know, the luxury of, of, of having things so good is we get the opportunity to, you know, 
talk about a whole myriad of issues from from climate change to equality to um, you know the way our schools and hospitals function is because we're so prosperous yeah. um, but at the same time I think people are often feel that they they're, they're helpless within that um, I think government's got a role to play and, and maybe education particularly mm-hmm. there's something that we can do more to you know, teach resilience and we sure are lucky and I think sometimes social media sets unrealistic expectations around yep. what that looks like because you talk about communities where girls aren't able to go to school, they're not the ones posting on social media about how they're walking kilometres to get fresh drinking water for their family and yep. unable to attend school. So, And then we see the young 20-year-olds that are off gallivanting around the world on someone else's dime and we think, oh, why can't I have that yeah. life? So. The, the, the insta-perfect lifestyle that... that gets portrayed through social media is not it's not genuine um, and you know I say this is someone that doesn't really engage in social media a huge amount yes. um, you know and it's because I find those sorts of things really uh, not challenging but just I don't I don't get any enjoyment out of it so yeah. I let it go but um, if you're sort of you know wondering what 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 course to take in life or, or where you're going and, and you're looking at what everyone else is doing and it all just seems perfect and you look in the mirror and go, well, that's not what my life looks like. It mustn't be worthwhile. You know, go and talk to someone. Um, that you know, Just one of your peers and, and have a, an honest conversation about what your challenges are and you'll probably find that they're thinking exactly the same way yeah. uh, and that's normal. Um, you know, what, what's built up to be you know, on, on, online and on social media of... You know, normal is, is generally very, very far from the truth. Yeah. Um, I guess it's just the, the perception that someone's trying to put up. Um, yeah, that's... I think that's probably the biggest challenge, and I sort of skirted through that. I'm 35 now, so social media really didn't become a thing until I'd finished school. Yeah. Um, vague recollections of the MySpace page somewhere, maybe once, <laughs> <laughs> at school, but... And who was yeah. in your top four was the biggest deal? Yeah, <laughs> I think that's probably about the point that I went, yeah, this isn't for me. <laughs> But um, uh, I, I think that that for you know, I certainly think for my daughters uh, that are you know, once just started school, this is going to be normal for them. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think it's how do we how do I as a parent then you know show them that what they see on on a, online isn't necessarily everything. Um, you know, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have challenges. Uh, and that's what makes life exciting. Yeah. Uh, if it was all easy and perfect, then yeah, there's no real satisfaction in it. Yeah. And mental health, of course, as well as a growing concern, especially with young people. Yes. Um, what are some of the things that you think could be done more in Canberra to sort of support young people? I think the biggest thing, uh, I've, I've recently become a mentor for a young, a young guy. Um, through a local charity that, that does mentoring um, mentoring work for, for kids that are uh, either you know, have some, some mental health issues or um, predominantly it's, it's for young, young men who haven't got a major or stable male role model in their life. And the biggest part of that program is just being available um, and being someone you can, they can talk to and have have a genuine conversation with and you know, even when I catch up with friends a lot of the time the conversation is very superficial the, the, the normal um, you know, how's work how's family mm-hmm. what have you been up to very rarely do you get to the how are you actually going yeah. um, type question and you know 
are you okay days great we all are reminded once a year that we should be asking those sorts of questions of, of those that are around us but um, do it every day yeah um, you know sometimes people have are having a tough day and, and the thing that can make it just that much easier is you know share the problem you know a problem shared is a problem halved and yeah. um, you know, even for young people have a conversation with your friends that doesn't involve a device yes. <laughs> that's a big one you know, I, I've seen you know, kids I say that loosely um, mm-hmm. you know teenagers particularly that you know, will send each other a text or a, or a message on, on messen- uh, you know whatsapp or whatever platform that they're choosing to use whilst they're in the same room as each other rather than actually talking. Um, and the same happens even in an office environment. Um, all my colleagues are on the same corridor as, as me um, and I'll get an email from someone that's in the next office. Yeah. Now, I'm a really slow typer, so it's much quicker for me to actually get up, walk down the corridor, stick my head in their office and speak to them face to face. And I find that that's a better form of interaction. Um, you know, we, we, naturally humans are you know, community creatures and, and we need a community to be part of and it, I think mental health issues particularly become prevalent when there's isolation and yeah oh fantastic I think they're really sort of great words of advice for young people about interaction and communication with one another um, just conscious of time I would love to know if you have any sort of last words of advice for young people or the voters in general around what they can do to be more engaged in the political process and the benefits of mm-hmm. it um, and how we can actually make a better Australia. Yeah, look, I think at the, at the foremost, everyone gets a vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the great, the great parts of the Australian part, uh, your democracy is, is everyone's got a vote and everyone's vote is equal. Um, so there's, there's no point in thinking that you know, just because you know you're young or you know, it's only you that that your vote doesn't matter um so value it treasure it with with you know with the you know the power that it's actually got inform yourself of at an election time who the candidates are who shares your views who's going to be after actually represent you well um you won't find someone that agrees with you 100 percent of the time but but who's going to get it right most of the time for you um if that's not enough for you then get involved you know, if there's if you find that there's a side of politics that you support more than another you know get involved in the, in the political movement um your know, candidates are chosen by the major parties by the membership so become a member um hopefully it's you know you, you see the world through the same lens i do and you join the liberal side but even if you don't uh, i'd much rather someone that disagreed with me and actively participated in the process than blindly disagreed or, or, or bagged either my side or the other side um, I think the, the more involved people are the better the, the, the calibre of candidates that we're going to see, the better the calibre of, of members that we see in our parliaments and the, the flip side of that is the better decisions we're going to get, the better community we're going to have, so you know, treasure your vote, get involved if you feel, feel the need and uh, I think we'll all reap the benefit well, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today and taking time out of your obviously busy schedule. No, this has um, been great. And thank you very much for, for bringing this to, to your listeners. Oh, fantastic. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to Politics Done Differently. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to hear more, please go back through our library for more insightful interviews. Please subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter 
at PD Differently. If you want to get involved in the conversation, please hashtag PD Differently. We look forward to seeing you next episode.